Welcome everybody to the Body IO podcast with your host Kiefer. Uh, this is part two of the consultation call with Rachel. Hopefully everybody listened to part one. And the second part, you know, our, our time was kind of up and we just started rambling. So there wasn't, there's not a lot of information about health or specifically her case until towards the end of this second part in that we we do actually she brought up some family history that she hadn't before and we did talk about what that could mean for her and how she could avoid any consequences of her family medical history if she had any concerns she didn't sound too terribly concerned when we first talked about it but if she had had any concerns, I think that I completely obliterated them at the end. And it's something that should concern a lot of you, actually. It was a conversation about Alzheimer's disease. Uh, so that comes at the end, and there's we, we circle back around to health eventually. But, you know, most of this is just kind of bonus material. I hope you enjoy it. Probably gives some insight into me that's not very that's not necessarily common knowledge uh the conversation was very unguarded so we we talked about a lot of things i hope you find it interesting and again you can kind of jump to the end if you just want to hear some health stuff and whatnot if you want to hear me pontificate on just about every topic under the sun then you know feel free to listen the whole thing and i hope you enjoy it i think i've about used up my hour uh, yeah, I mean, you've got whatever. I mean, if you have anything else, <laughs> I really like, don't. I'm not, I'm not like super strict at, about the. Well, we can talk about. Uh, well, we're not going to talk politics or religion. What else can we talk about? Yeah, those are those are two subjects usually best left out of the health sphere. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Although, Although you, politics, ahead. they well, you know, I've been thinking about it. But, you know, politics is a really huge part of, obviously, the health problems yes. in the world. But I was thinking about it, it, at least in the United States, you know, you if you want health insurance, you have to submit to these, you know, biannual blood panels and all this stuff. And the only way to get out of it and still keep your health insurance is if you were part of a religion that specifically forbade that. So I was I was starting to think like the only way to shield people to do the right thing to get healthy is mm-hmm. that you'd have to form a religion and get it recognized so that the people who were of that religion wouldn't be able have to, to, to go through all that crap that's meaningless anyway. Okay. So phase step one, name the religion. Well, yeah, I have. Well, I haven't gotten that far. It's like, okay. You know, I don't know if it's in my persona to be a religious leader. Yeah. Well, I think that you are a leader, um, definitely in a lot of ways. So don't sell yourself short if that's something you think maybe would be interesting to do. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't know if I, I ever want to be a religious leader. I, I think that comes with a lot of baggage that would be hard for me to mesh with my really hardcore science yes i've heard your take on it before i agree yeah it (laughs) would be different yeah yeah although it was funny with my one of 
one of the people who works for Body IO, we were just talking and I was just making up a religion out of the blue based on a scientific explanation that you couldn't refute that's totally plausible. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, we, it became so developed. It was almost hilarious. She's like, I'm writing all this down because we have to remember this. <laughs> and it was pretty funny. That is funny. Well, it's going to be an interesting week next week here, though, in the United States. Will you watch it or follow it? Uh, yeah, I, I've been following. I had to turn off all mm-hmm. U.S. news for a while because it was just getting in my head, you mm-hmm. know, seeing all the stuff going on. So I, it's one of those things where I really have this strong desire to sit there <laughs> and watch this play out yeah. on Tuesday night. But at the same yeah. time, I'm like, you know... I should ju- I should wait until the week after to mm-hmm. find out what happens. I think I'm gonna have to stay up and just watch it because I'm just expecting just I don't know something. There's just gonna be a lot going on. I'm well, afraid you're I'm gonna a, miss it. Yeah, you're in a key state too. Yeah, Florida is too. So, but yeah, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And then okay, well we talked a little religion, a little politics. Should we talk some COVID? <laughs> Hit the top oh, three, the trifecta. Sure. Sure. <laughs> what are you What are you thinking? What are, what's your opinion? Still the same? I mean, it's like, you know, I don't watch the news either. I just can't really stand it. Um, yeah. We do own a business. So we have about 100 employees. And that's been, for us, the hardest, you know, part of the, all of this COVID, honestly, is, is managing our business and our employees and doing the right thing. And somebody has, you know, not feeling well and, you know, mandating the masks, regardless of, you know, how they feel about wearing them or not. Yeah. Um, and so forth. So are you feeling, you know, I call it COVID 2.0, the second wave. <laughs> uh, well, that's, we're not even in a second wave yet. We're yeah. like on, on a third surge. Right. Which is the really, I, I mean, it's totally expected, but at the same time, it's also really depressing because mm-hmm. economies all over the world ruined themselves to try to stop yep. it. Yes. Um, at, at a point this is it's been so systemically bad and one of the reasons is the level of science education is so poor and i don't just mean knowledge base i mean people's ability to understand what science says and then how politicians should use that to make informed decisions that doesn't happen mm-hmm. and some of the people advising like fauci brilliant epidemiologist you know he's had a lot of experience but his education is still from the 70s and his experience is in situations that are not large distributed concentrations of people Mm -hmm. with porous borders that's not his experience Mm -hmm. but in the last 20 years with the advent of massive amounts of computing power there's been so many well-designed models that have been simulated, and that's how I was able to make pretty much my projections for how they've played out so far, just looking at those models. The information is mm-hmm. there, and it's not, unfortunately, within the purview of anybody who's advising or making decisions, and it's just become idiotic, and so now you know it's – it's like a fish out of water. Everybody's just flailing around trying to figure out, well, what do we do? What do we do? Well, you know, the, the vaccine's going to be here any minute, right? So everybody's right. going to be fine. And again, the science is against that. They've been trying to develop coronavirus 
vaccines for well 70 years now they've never developed a single one <laughs> and even in modern times SARS and MERS you know they worked on those for 10 years and they still don't have a viable vaccine right so, and that's what I keep hearing is people are like well just wait oh, we just got to get to the vaccine we've just got to get to the vaccine and I thought, I'm not taking the vaccine right yeah even if it does come out yeah and what's even <laughs> <You know? laughs> Kind of more telling is that, you know, like 10 different pharmaceutical companies got billions and billions of dollars from the U.S. Mm -hmm. And the CEOs of several of those started dumping stock, which was in their contract. They could, but while they're developing this vaccine, they're dumping stock over the summer. And there's only one reason they would do that. A, they know their stock price isn't artificially inflated because of the government funds. Mm -hmm. And B... There's going to be a fallout when they don't produce a usable vaccine. So they know the odds are against it. And for the companies themselves, there's actually no downside because all of their research is being funded. It's all being paid for by American taxpayers. And then if they do have a successful vaccine, American taxpayers are going to pay for it again. So there's no downside. They have no money loss, and they have a huge potential upside. Right. So you can look at all the companies that – their CEOs dump stock. It's like obviously they don't have a lot of faith in their odds. Mm -hmm. I had read something, and I didn't read it too too in depth about maybe they had stopped some trials, some vaccination trials, because of some neurological disorders that in a couple of people had happened. But now they're restarting them again. Yeah, the FDA <laughs> saying we don't know if they were related. We can't say they were. We can't say they weren't, or something along those lines. Yeah, it it's a new vaccine is really scary. And SARS is an excellent example of that. You know, they had several candidate vaccines and they made it to human trials because things were promising in mice and in primates and like super promising. And in humans, they were promising at first. There was there was the response that they expected. And then you go to the part of the trial where they inoculate somebody and expose them to the virus. And it increased the mortality rate of the virus tenfold. Oh, geez. And, you know, that's not uncommon for some vaccines because it gives an incomplete immune response. So when you are exposed to the full pathogen, you get this hyper response. Mm -hmm. And that's why they had to stop all SARS vaccine trials because they were all killing people. Oh, geez. And COVID is <laughs> in terrible. the same. Yeah, COVID is in the same category of coronavirus. So I don't know why people think this is you say, oh, well, we'll get this done in a year, even though we haven't done it in 70. Right. And I think and I had heard you say this, you know, right when COVID was just hitting in one of your podcasts. And I'm like, you know. This is we are not getting a vaccine in the next six months. You know, people are like, we just need a vaccine, a vaccine. They're working on a vaccine. But pick your rattles. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it it is possible. I, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I'm just being realistic and saying probabilistically mm -hmm. the odds are very much against it. Against it, right. Again, anything can happen. But then we have to get everybody to take it, right? And yeah, I'm well, you line. know, I was thinking about that the other day, and I feel like everybody who refused to vaccinate their children mm -hmm. shouldn't be allowed to get the vaccine. <laughs> it's like, look, 
you you obviously are willing to put people in danger through your actions so i'm sorry but you are at the absolute bottom of the list for getting this vaccine so maybe in a couple years we'll have doses yeah that's a tough one because i obviously i vaccinated my children not obviously but i did i believe in all of that Uh, but boy i have a couple girlfriends hardcore you know, not vaccinating their children. And I can remember with our pediatrician, you know, I was like, this was when they were young. And I was like, what is going on with all these people not vaccinating? And she had said, she says, I won't take patients more that don't get vaccinations because I'm not thinking whooping cough when they, you know, when I get a call in the middle of the night um, and things like that, because these things are gone. Yeah. Well, and they're a danger to adults. The whooping cough vaccine only lasts roughly 10 years. So if you're an adult and you get exposed to a child with whooping cough, you can Mm. catch it if you haven't had a booster, which I discovered here in (laughs) Serbia. And it was a miserable week of my life. It was worse than whatever I had that was potentially COVID. You know, it was unbelievably bad because I didn't know that I needed a booster for whooping cough. And I didn't know that only 50% mm. of Serbians vaccinate because, and it's because of this anti-vax movement. Um, yeah. like, you know, I didn't know. I know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How did terrible. you find out? Obviously doctor, you were tested for it or whatever, right? Yeah. Or you just yeah. assumed. Okay. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, it was yeah. terrible. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Even, even with the antibiotics. I mean, I, I had a week where I was terrified to go to sleep because I would stop breathing every night in my sleep. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it was terrifying. Like, I just did not want to sleep. I, I would do anything to try not to go to sleep. Oh, man, that is terrible. Yeah, yeah and- I agree, you know, but people are con- going to continue to do it because I won't name the celebrity, but, you know, she tells them not to. Uh, Jenny McCarthy? Yes. It's like, <laughs> that's the one I always think of. Yeah. I, well, I don't understand why people would listen to her because she told stories of her days when she was a playmate. And, I, and I'm not judging that decision. That's fine. I, like, I right. have no problem with that. But she's talking about how she was like basically on drugs all the time, partying, alcohol. And we know that people who are drug addicts have a really high chance for some sort of neurological birth defects in their children, autism being one of them. Hmm. So it is completely likely that it was her lifestyle that caused her to have a child with autism. But of course, that would mean she'd have to take responsibility and who wants to do that? Right, exactly. Oh, goodness, that is terrible. Yeah. So what? And and every argument that they have has now been disproven on a a large scale. Like they're like, oh well, you know, sanitation just got better at the time vaccines came out, and that's probably what did it. Well, you know, you've got France, you've got several cities in the United States where the vaccination rate dropped below the necessary, you know, ninety-five or ninety percent, and they had massive outbreaks of these things. It's like, okay, so where's your sanitation argument now? Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, they're pretty strong-willed, and it's very difficult to convince. But unfortunately, like you said, their actions are then, um, you know, having consequences for others. Yeah, that's that's why – that's 
that's where you start to fall into that regime of you have no real protections under the constitution for that kind of thing. Like people have said the mask wearing is violation of freedom of speech or, you know, these things. And it's actually not like you, you're not covered in those scenarios. And I, I think governments just need to, you know, woman up or whatever the politically correct phrases mm-hmm. these days and just say, okay, it's the law. You have to have your kids vaccinated unless, of course, they have a compromised immune system and they can't be. Otherwise, like, you don't have a choice. It's not your mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. Boy, we'll leave that one to the politicians, right? See how they're not doing very well, though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're so weak-willed. If by some miracle I ever became president, I would only be concerned about one term, and I would not give a crap about what anybody said. I would do everything just for the good of the country and just not even worry about if I was going to get elected a second term. Right, and that's what we need. You know, this is just silly, these politicians. It's just they can't do and say exactly what maybe even they want or what is right. Um, it's just all got to be so politically correct. <laughs> yeah. And, and they have no other skill sets. I mean, right. they have to stay in politics, which is a shame. Yes. You know, people don't realize former presidents, you know, back in the 19th century and early 20th century, even, you know, they had other jobs. They left their job and they became president and then they would they would potentially go back to their old career. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what the founding fathers actually expected. They did not expect this world of career politicians. So would you consider Trump in something like that? Wait, in which what? <laughs> in the category of he had a job and then went into politics. Um, he, well. Who knows what he'll do next week. <laughs> okay, on the surface, on the surface. He's more of what the founding fathers imagined than, mm-hmm. say, somebody like uh, – I'm not going to use a current candidate's name because I don't want to sway anybody. But say like sure. Hillary Hillary Clinton or yeah. – well, Bill Clinton or Barack well, Obama. Husband, that's, yes, exactly. Yeah, right. that's not – or Mitch McConnell or uh, yep. Nancy Pelosi. There's a lot of ours. Yeah. Yeah, Our they representative, ha- and from where we live, he's been in politics since I think he was five. <laughs> yeah, sixty. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. They that that wasn't what they imagined because they wanted people who had a sense of American life and American strife to mm-hmm. occupy those offices for a limited period of time, and then return. Because if you return to the world that you molded, you're going to work really hard to make sure that world is great. But if yes. you never have to return to it, then you don't, you just don't care. No, you're not impacted. It's yeah. you're, they're very insulated for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I've become a huge. Well, I I don't know. I I deep dive into everything. So <laughs> you don't. I don't think you moderate. You don't moderate anything. <laughs> no. Well, you know, there's so much interesting like. <laughs> I quizzed somebody the other day just out of curiosity. A, what year did the Civil War start? And of course, like they didn't know because they were they were talking trash about the Civil War and you know the reasons for it or whatever. And I, and then I was like, okay, well here's a simpler question: Which country's older, Italy or the United States? And they like had no idea. You know that of course they okay. said Italy. 
Like Italy yeah. didn't become a country until the first year of the Civil War, which was 1861. Okay. Yeah, like, you know, you have to kind of have some concept of the world, I think, to understand America's very special place in it at this moment in history. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that context, I don't think you can make good decisions for the American public or for the world either. Um, yeah. I, I, it's, it's just and yeah. why I try to learn all of that so that I could make good decisions makes no sense to me whatsoever, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, a pro- you're definitely a, an anomaly. <laughs> uh, I just like to learn yeah. things. There's so much to know and so little time. Is that That's what keeps you up at night. I, <laughs> you know, you're not going to be able to learn in this lifetime. <laughs> what keeps me up at night is like some weird equation that I just can't solve. Okay. Oddly enough, those are the things that I just <laughs> like they get stuck in my head. And like way, especially right now, because I'm like deep in the code and there's a lot of algorithms mm-hmm. that weren't written correctly. And I mean, some of them just don't cover the entire search or variable space they were meant to. And there's some really big problems there. And like my mind just cannot stop working yeah. on that. You're like, yeah, you're like dreaming or you're in that lucid state of probably these numbers and they're just running through your head constantly. Yeah. I've I've yeah. I've had dreams where I've worked on problems. Did you solve them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. always fascinating. I it, unfortunately it's a rare occurrence, but when it happens, it's so exhilarating to wake up to <laughs> that. That is interesting. Are your um, if you don't mind if I ask you a personal question, and you can say no, obviously. I, I don't. Um, well, you can ask yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Whether I answer it or not is yeah, okay. an entirely different. That's true. True. The other spin. Um, are you? How are you doing with your, like, where you're living? And I know you're having maybe some issues with your, I think it was your visa and whatnot. Is, are things feeling better for you there? Oh, well, I don't know. I just. Oh, who knows? I, okay. Yeah, I have this. <laughs> I have a horrible, maybe it's not horrible. I don't know. But I'm about as close to ancient stoicism as possible because I have this crippling ataraxia. Like, I just cannot experience normal stress. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and so like right now my visa is so expired, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And my doctor here is still searching for potential ways to fix my leg where I could at least do steps again. Like I can't walk up or down steps with this one leg. And he, he's just like this, this new situation is so extreme. I'm not sure there's any way for you to get better than that. Um, so yeah, I mean, actually hmm. everything is about as bad as it could be, even okay. though I started this by saying, oh, you know, it could be worse. It really couldn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's amazing that you, you know, you just forge on, right? It's what we do. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I will be the first to admit I'm lucky in most circumstances to, to not have that stress response. Yes, because I don't think that most people then, you know, could probably deal with all the stuff that you're dealing with. Oh, my gosh. And and it it goes on and on like that. That's just a small snapshot of stuff. The tip of the iceberg. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's like, and then, I was you talking know, to, you laugh about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was talking to my, <laughs> my ex-wife, uh, her and I are like best friends. And uh, I was talking to her I get, last week. Yeah, it's last week. And she was asking, I was just giving her the like gritty details of everything. And she's like, are you okay? I'm like, ah, you know, I'm fine. It's just, you know, whatever. It's just what's happening. She's like, and she just laughed. She's like, you just never worry about anything. I'm like, well, God, it doesn't really get you anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't. But I think that sometimes people can tell themselves that, but it still doesn't stop them from worrying or overthinking or overanalyzing the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it is what it is. It it did take me a little time to come to terms with the idea that I'll never I I can never reach the type of athleticism I once had. Like I'm I'm just not going to run. I'm probably never going to run again. I'm probably never going to ride a bicycle again. Um I'm yeah. probably not, not going to go ice skating again, which oh, I love ice skating. Um those things mm-hmm. are probably unlikely from here on out. Yeah, that's difficult to, you know, wrap your head around something like that, though. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, so I started drawing up designs of different leg braces that I could use during different activities. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where my brain goes. It's like, okay, well, yeah. how can I at least build something where I might be able to to do this activity again, even if I can't do it at the same level? Maybe, maybe yes. I could do it. Right. I mean, I think that's an important just le- lesson in life, and that's one of the things I try and teach our kids is, you know, what, okay, you're in a situation, let's not talk about or focus on what you can't do. Let's focus on what we can do. What is in your control? Where can you um, pull resources from? And, and just sort of just shifting of that mindset. Yeah, that's, I always, I was enchanted by stoicism in college, because people think stoics just don't care about anything. But that's not stoicism and most of the modern stoicism books are like oh you know just don't worry about stuff you know worry about yourself kind of thing but that that wasn't how stoics thought they just didn't worry they're like okay what can i do i am gonna do everything in my power to change or to bring about what i think is right and what i'm passionate about Mm -hmm. until i realize i've exhausted all of my potential and then at yeah. that point, I I know I have to let go. And that's mm-hmm. that's stoicism in a nutshell. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's, yeah. you know, I think our society and our, you know, the I'm not going to be one of these, you know, try not to be one of these parents that go, oh, these young kids nowadays. But, you know, they some of them do lack sort of that grit, that true grit and like. Um, they just aren't used to facing adversity because parents are coming in and just swooping them and saving them. And that's just you raising when you're an adult and then you face your first adversity or your boss yells at you. You know, it's a, we're doing a disservice to our children by not letting them fail and feel pain and feel rejection and things like that. Yeah, I I, I think I know people, you know, the politically correct thing is like, oh, they never fail or you don't let them fail. But there's actually something <laughs> mentally right in context. So, I mean, honestly, my, my parents were very, very hands-off when I was a child, like all through my, my childhood through high school. And so mm-hmm. I never had the concept of failure because they never judged me. 
But at the same time, I was super curious and wanted to do wanted to find the answers. So even though I would fail even today to this day, like I try things and they don't work. And sometimes they're miserable failures, like even with coding or whatever. And then I was like, okay, well, that way didn't work. What's another alternative path I can use? And so I never have this sense that I failed. I just have this sense that I eliminated a possibility. Yeah, that I tried something and it didn't work. Yeah. You know? My sister, on the other hand, they were very involved with her. They put a lot of pressure on her to get A's. They put a lot of pressure on her in sports. She bore all the parental pressure from from my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And sh- and she now is somewhat crippled in that sense. Like she tries something. If it just if it doesn't work the first time in her mind, she's failed and she moves on. Yeah. And and our lives are totally different because of that. Mm-hmm. It is. It's and, amazing. Yeah. And so I think it's the right concept to tell to never tell kids that they failed to help them understand that failure. And that's probably what has made me a good scientist is, you know, that's what science is. Science is testing mm-hmm. something out and seeing if you're right or wrong. Yeah. And then if and you're there's wrong, no judgment, if you're right or wrong, right? It's just correct. That's wrong. If you're wrong, yeah. you still discovered something valuable. There's, there's value in not achieving your goal because now, you know, that way it doesn't work. And so right. you can do something else to then try to achieve your goal. And you're right. eventually yeah. going to figure out something that works. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I agree. But, and we have, you know, I, I can see it as people, as like you said, adults that just aren't wanting to take a chance or um, not, you know, they get their feelings hurt really easily if something doesn't go their way um, or if their child gets reprimanded at school. It's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I said mm-hmm. tenacity will trump intelligence every time. Every time. Yes. I agree with that. I agree and with then, that. And we have that at work with our employees. You know, the, you hire certain employees. Obviously, there's a certain skill set at times. But, you know, the biggest thing is the ability to want to learn. And do you have the capacity and the intelligence to learn? Um, but just that tenacity and that grit. Yeah. No, it, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. It does. But I I have no children. I only have Cooper, <laughs> who is a model dog that everybody well. comments about. But I, that still doesn't it still doesn't give me any uh, authority or even context to recommend on parenting. So. Well, we have a dog also, um, and he is a pretty good dog. But um, I would say that children are definitely um, a little more difficult. <laughs> I, f- I feel like they're probably not like I just have this feeling that they're probably everything because I'm actually really. Well, it's hard to say how I am with sometimes people see me with Cooper and they think I'm this mean dog owner, but mm-hmm. like I never beat him. It's just sometimes I have to lower my voice sure. because dogs respond to yes. growling. If you're growling mm-hmm. at them, they know you're serious. So but, you know, when there's no danger, whatever. Like, I'm very loving and affectionate with him. So I feel like that basic model (laughs) is the right one for kids. It is. And that is absolutely the basic model. Then, 
you know, kids are really good at throwing in a lot of variables to that model. Um, you know, there's a million different scenarios. So yeah. I feel they can all be but, all be solved with a no. And then you're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that might be another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it always solves my Cooper problem. So, yeah, well, let's keep it at that then. No, it <laughs> does. And, you know, you have to be stern with your kids. But, boy, they're still kids, you know, and they push the buttons and um, push the envelope. And, you know, once they start driving, too, that becomes a whole nother um, piece of the puzzle. You know, you have other concerns of their safety, right? And things yeah. like that, but but we've got yeah. to let them spread their wings. Yeah. Although I, you know, when I got my license, one of the first places I went, I like I'm not kidding, was to the medical library at IUPUI in downtown Indianapolis. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the first okay. places I went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're maybe not quite. Again, you're maybe an anomaly. Well, no, but I did come like home that, from but... that and run into the garage. Yes. So. Yep. And, you know, I don't want to monitor every place they go and track, you know, all of their locations. They need to be able to, you know, make decisions on their own and make good decisions and not only decide because, you know, mom and dad are watching that I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah, they need to screw up. Yep. But the problems with kids and as they get older, the screw ups are a lot more detrimental. Um, (laughs) You know, they can be those kinds, you know, especially when you're driving. But you know, that's, that's what we all went through. And, um, you know, we have to do it now. The whole driving thing is a lot of hours. These kids have to get, and they have to drive with the parents and sign off and whatnot. It's, you know, it's a good thing. But I think when I turned 16, I never had once drove with my parents. I got in my car and I was off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) well, the thing is, I, I don't think it matters. Like, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, just from my own personal experience, even when I was in my Mm -hmm. thirties, you know, I was dumb enough to to buy a sports car and travel way, 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 way too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, there was one situation. I don't know how I didn't kill myself. Yeah, I, you're right. I'm not sure I learned anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, would you do it again? Maybe if you were in the sports car, you might. Well, you know, <laughs> I I would have a little more sense of not to do that one exact thing, but I would probably mm-hmm. still go way too fast. You would still push the envelope somehow. Yeah, yeah. I had a, mm-hmm. I I had a Corvette, and the manual said you could go up to 100 miles an hour in third gear, and it's a six-speed. You know, so okay. I'm going 90 <laughs> miles an hour on the interstate, and I'm like, well, I'm going to downshift into third gear, and I'll have so much power, it'll be amazing. Well... The minute I let off the clutch, the car spun out of control. Oh, yeah. Oof. And I have no idea how I got it under control. And this was in traffic, but I didn't hit oh anything. My gosh. Yeah, I didn't hit anything. Nothing. Ha- I got it under control. Like, I I have no idea how I came out of that. But oh, I did. my gosh. So, so, so now what I learned was, okay, don't downshift into third gear if you're going close to 100 miles an hour. <laughs> That was the the lesson wasn't okay. Don't okay. speed through traffic. The mm-hmm. lesson was don't don't downshift into third gear. That's don't just downshift into third gear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that inability uh, to panic really helped because all I you know I was just paying attention yeah. to what the car was doing and trying to 
your that whole part of your brain. Wow, that really that just kicked on, right? Yeah, I got oh yeah. so lucky. Mm-hmm. I don't I honestly don't know how I didn't die and kill ten other people with me. Well, there is some luck in life, that is for sure. Yeah. Um, in yeah. situations like that. So. so maybe I shouldn't have told that story, but No, I think it's a good one. <laughs> Gives another side of you. Yeah. See, you are a little reckless. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, yeah. It's more than a little. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that gives you a human side, right? <laughs> yeah. Are you less nervous now? You said before you were nervous. Yes, I am. Yes. Good. I think it was a great conversation. I, I hope. appreciate your time. Yeah. yeah, I hope I answered all your questions. And Yeah, you did. I know I didn't maybe come with, with a ton or maybe they weren't too too deep, but um you know, it helps me just, just those few questions and these things like that, they help a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually your, your problem is relatively simple to, to assess. So, Mm -hmm. and it, it covers a lot of the things that you were concerned with. So it makes it easy for me. Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's fortune or what, but I've, you know, um, always been healthy um, quote unquote, you know, not getting sick, let's say where I have to go to the doctor. Um, but right. I think that, you know, that my prior thought of what healthy was versus, you know, my new shift in mindset, um, these things, you know, matter a lot. So it's important. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice to mm-hmm. just be 85 years old and not wake up yeah. instead of having that slow debilitating decline yes. into the grave. Yes, it is. It's awful. My grandmother had Alzheimer's and, you know, physically she was fine. Um, but then, you know, it just, her mind, once her mind, she got so bad. I mean, she just would sit there, you know, she lost all functions, you know, bodily functions. She couldn't talk anything. And and she was that way for five or six years. It was just heartbreaking. You know, I'm thinking, what is this? It's just a shell of her. Yeah. So not her. So that's actually a really good reason for you to stay on the track that you're on diet wise um, because all, Alzheimer's is also a disease of carbs and specifically it's a mutation in what's called insulin degrading enzyme. Mm-hmm. And that's the same, that enzyme breaks down insulin, but it also breaks down amyloid beta in the brain. Mm-hmm. And so as you become, as you get into insulin resistance, even just minor, the insulin eats up all the insulin degrading enzyme and it can't keep the brain clean. And then that's when we see Alzheimer's like there's all these other things are targeting have very low correlation, but insulin, insulin degrading enzyme, um, deviations, they have Mm -hmm. extremely high correlations and that is genetic. Okay. Great. Well, good. That, so, that makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. So basically, you, I mean, on the type of diet you're on, even if you don't do carb nights, it would mm-hmm. be almost impossible for you to get Alzheimer's, even if you had the deviation or the allele that made you the most susceptible, it would still make it almost impossible for you to get it. And it just blows me away that this isn't, I would, I mean, common knowledge, I guess, you know, that's a pretty loose term, right? But yeah, I don't understand it. Well, I, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but, you know, you, 
A, a lot of these researchers are working in isolation and they're only curious about one thing. Mm-hmm. So they're not necessarily looking at how it fits into the pieces. Like if you ask an endocrinologist, then it's an endocrinological problem. If you ask uh, a sports scientist, then everything's an activity problem. If you ask a microbiologist, then everything is a mitochondrial sure. problem. So, and they don't really put it on, you know, like, uh, what's her name? Oh, she's been on Joe Rogan's show a couple times. And for some reason, her name's escaping me right now. I'm going to be of no help. I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, her, yeah. all of her research is on vitamin D. So she came out of the gate saying that vitamin D is the cure for everything. Mm-hmm. And now she starts, you know, she's ventured off into other things, but like listening to you, to her, you can tell she doesn't have a clear understanding of how all these things integrate together. And mm-hmm. every scientist and physicist is like that. You know, I experienced that firsthand in physics. If you get a PhD in physics, you're an expert on one really, really tiny piece of one part of physics, and you're an expert on one equation. Mm-hmm. You're, you're wow. not fit to make recommendations about the entire structure, foundational structure of physics. You know, you're just not because you don't have that knowledge. And that's how all of these researchers are. So they they can't put the pieces together. So the group who's researching insulin degrading enzyme, they've just looked at all the things that it does, all of the different alleles that lead to insulin degrading enzyme with different activity levels. And then they say, oh, well, you know, here's Here's the correlations, and then they move on to other aspects of enzymes in the body. But if you have somebody who's trying to make a pharmaceutical drug, then what they're going to look at is, oh, well, what we see when there's a big buildup of amyloid beta is a lot of errors in protein folding that goes on in the brain, and then that clogs up the system and neurons start to break down. So what we'll do is we'll develop a drug that can target the protein folding response and try to make proteins fold correctly. Well, that's Mm -hmm. a symptom of there being too much amyloid beta that's not being broken down by the insulin-degrading enzyme. But that drug is worth billions of dollars because it can keep somebody who has Alzheimer's alive Mm -hmm. longer, and that drug is probably going to make drug companies at least forty to a hundred thousand dollars per year for every year they can keep somebody alive. All the while, that person's just going to get sicker and sicker and sicker. Yeah, it's a, really it's a shame. And I've heard you talk about the healthcare industry, and I think you mentioned it in one of the, your last podcasts that you know where is all of this money going? And as business owners, we we spend next to the material that we purchase to make our products. Our health insurance cost for our employees was is um, going to be a million dollars. That's the projected cost yeah. next year. And, it's, you know, and it's like, who who is making this money? Is it the pharmaceutical companies? Is it the doctors? Is it the hospitals? I mean, it's all of them, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, but some of the stories that we've heard, it's crazy. And, you know, it goes up 20% every year. Every year. That's just yeah. the deal, you know? And 20% yeah, of, you know, 50,000 is a lot different than 20% of a million. <laughs> Yeah, and you could literally drop – well, A, you have to get rid of healthcare. It's a it's a misnomer. It's not healthcare. What you have to get back to is what we had in the 50s and 60s, which is health insurance. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because you could bring people back around to only true disasters are going to happen to them. Uh, whereas now, you know, everybody's going to get sick, yeah. so it's not insurance. Right. right. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And and you, you could know. do that. that. That's the stoic in me. Like, I think there's a real chance for me mm-hmm. to at least lay that groundwork. And I'm going to yeah, keep and, going yeah. until I do. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it is. It's like homeowner's insurance, your car insurance. It's there in a really bad situation. Yeah. Uh, but you have you a deductible, you know, that you have to right. meet. Yeah, you don't contact your insurance company when you go to fill up your car with gas. Right, right. Like that, or when you need new tires. Like you, you don't right. do yeah. that. Right. Um, but but health health insurance you do. Yeah, and it's just an entitlement too, you know. And it's my right to be able to go to the doctor anytime I want or need to. And uh, you know, it's just it's a little it's a little out of control. Yeah. No, the the medical system here is. An amazing comparison because what they've done is they've they have a public system and then they have a private system. And mm-hmm. the doctors who work in the private healthcare facilities, they have to also do so many hours in the public facilities. Okay. But at the same time, those private hospitals can't be exorbitantly expensive because they have to compete with the public option. Right. Okay. Right. And so my surgery with one of the top soft tissue doctors for athletes almost in the Balkans, like he works with Serbia's uh, uh, soccer and basketball teams, Mm -hmm. cost me $4,000 total. And that was three nights in the hospital. And the surgery, Jeez. and all the medication, and the leg brace. For wow, me to that, get that'd be a, the leg brace back here in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, for me to get an equivalent doctor in the United States, I've talked to some of the doctors I work with and stuff. They're like, "Oh, you know, you would have paid a quarter of a million dollars for that." Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, and and my doctor lives well. Like he travels a lot. He has mm-hmm. a house. It's not like he's poor. Yeah, for sure. And that's not, I think, you know, what people are asking. We're not asking, um, you know, for these doctors to become martyrs. Um, but it's just, it's just so, somewhere, it's just not adding up. Yeah. The yeah. States. There's, there's so much wasted money, but mm-hmm. that's yes. probably a conversation for another day. Yep. It is. I would imagine. So again, while I'll let you go, um, I appreciate your time. Yeah, it was a great conversation. I'm yeah, glad I, I was able to talk to you. Yes, I feel the same. Well, good luck to you. And, Thanks. You know, we always enjoy hearing, you know, how you're doing and how things are progressing, but plugging away. Now, do you think this will be one last quick question? Do you think you'll make your way back to the States at some point? I would imagine. Um, <laughs> I'm going to leave that as... <laughs> One of those it depends answers. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say that's one I'm not going to answer question. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, it's possible. I, I spent the first 40 years of my life in the United States, and I feel mm-hmm. like I would like to spend the next 40 in the world. Yeah, um, sure. So. Okay. So we'll see. Okay. Well, hopefully that comes true for you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, thanks again. All right. Oh, Take yeah, care. of course. Oh, you yeah, have okay. have a good day.
Okay, thanks. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.